Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Our top stories: 30 million dollars in U.S. funding funneled to a top scientist now leading China's AI race. Did federal agencies ignore warning signs? Lawmakers are demanding answers. The World Economic Forum drawing attention to AI development. One lawmaker saying the U.S. lead over China is thanks to recent sanctions. Is Beijing concerned about a China hawk's potential return to the White House? GOP frontrunner Donald Trump dropping hints while vowing to revive a tough-on-China stance. Million dollars in federal research grants possibly dumped into China's artificial intelligence development. How did it happen? Lawmakers are demanding answers from the Pentagon. The key lies with a top AI scientist named Song Chunju. While at UCLA, he received 30 million dollars in federal grants for his research on the most advanced AI technology, a tool that could prove useful for military applications. The bulk of the money he received came from the Pentagon. Zhu later went back to China. Now he's leading China's efforts to develop high-end AI. Beijing and Washington are competing for dominance in AI. This technology is already becoming critical on the battlefield, and whoever takes the lead will have an edge in future wars. Now lawmakers are trying to find out why the funding kept flowing to Zhu despite the warning signs. Congressman Mike Gallagher is the chairman of the House Select China Committee. Along with other lawmakers, he wrote letters to the Pentagon, UCLA, and the National Science Foundation for related documents. They accused federal agencies of ignoring red flags about Zhu and giving him money anyway. While working at UCLA, Zhu set up a parallel institute near China's Wuhan. He also took up a job at a Chinese university that supports research for the Chinese military. And to top it off, he joined China's Thousand Talents project. Beijing is known to use the program to siphon Western technology, speeding up its own innovation. It works by hiring overseas talents and persuading them to transfer the technology to China. Examples include former Harvard chemistry professor Charles Lieber, a top researcher in nanotechnology. While working at Harvard, a Chinese university paid him to set up a nanotechnology lab in China. Meanwhile, Lieber's lab at Harvard kept receiving federal research grants. He was sentenced for lying to prosecutors about his ties to the Thousand Talents program. The House China panel said efforts to prevent adversaries from getting American innovation will only be effective if universities take responsibility in addressing this threat. How far is the U.S. lead over China in the AI field? The U.S. lawmaker says the answer is just months ahead. Washington's tightening curbs on microchips exports helped the U.S. gain the upper hand, but now it must keep that edge in its tech competition with Beijing. Republican Senator Mike Rounds made the remark on Tuesday at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. He emphasized the U.S. lead is due to export controls on AI chips to China. Chips are the focal point of the first developing tech war. The White House expanded its restrictions on them three months ago, blocking Beijing from obtaining the high-end semiconductors themselves, plus chip-making technology and equipment. President Biden also signed an executive order to prohibit U.S. companies from investing in Chinese chip-related businesses. The move irked Beijing. 
In what appears to be retaliation, it recently banned exports of key metals to the U.S., which are essential to making microchips. Back to the AI competition, what makes it so significant? Senator Round said AI will influence future warfare, adding that the country that embraces AI technology in its military will, quote, have a leg up on everyone else. Communist China has a history of lacking transparency on its tech development, making it difficult for the democratic world to see the true picture of how advanced its sensitive technologies are. Anxiety in Beijing over a potential China hawk in the White House? That's what GOP frontrunner Donald Trump is hinting at, pointing to the turbulence in China stock markets following his Iowa victory. But another election is further complicating that scenario. Well, this is really getting interesting because, you know, Taiwan just had an election. We're, uh, we just had the Iowa caucuses. Um, we're going to have a general election this year. And uh, based on how the Iowa caucuses go, you could see President Trump back in the White House. If that occurs, how does the Beijing think that affects their um, you know, strategy with regard to Taiwan? A strategic friend of the U.S., Taiwan just elected its new president, William Lai. He's known as a China hawk. Meanwhile, former President Trump is planning to win more votes with his own tough-on-China stance. Rory Daniels, managing director of the Asia Society Policy Institute Center for China Analysis, described the Trump-Lai combination as Beijing's nightmare scenario. Now, Trump is preparing to win the Republican nomination in another state, New Hampshire. He's currently leading in the polls there. Looking forward to U.S.-China ties if he gets elected again, Trump said he wouldn't allow China to take advantage of America. During a rally in Portsmouth, New Hampshire on Wednesday, he vowed to return the country to better days. One of the most important issues in this race is which candidate can rescue the American economy and save the American dream. The New Hampshire primary is set for January 23rd, next Tuesday. There are no more debates scheduled before the vote. Real clear polling averages show former President Trump with a 13-point cushion. The 2024 presidential campaign dominated by tough-on-China rhetoric. During a New Hampshire rally on Wednesday, presidential candidate Nikki Haley said that the U.S. should shift its perspective on China, from viewing it as a competitor to an enemy. Drawing from her experience as a former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki said China had, quote, always saw us as an enemy, and that's why the U.S. should do the same. Examples of the China threat include buying up U.S. farmland, fentanyl, trafficking, and stealing technology. She vowed to tackle those problems and pledged to end normal trade relations with China if elected. Another contender for America's top China hawk, presidential candidate Ron DeSantis. On Wednesday, the Florida governor identified a critical national security threat while speaking to voters, the U.S. border and China. He pointed out the presence of overwhelmingly military-aged males from China and Iran crossing the U.S. border, warning that Washington's enemies are exploiting that vulnerability. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are now in a heated contest, competing to become the lead alternative to the Republican presidential candidate's frontrunner, Donald Trump. Taiwan's new envoy to the U.S. is promising to forge stronger ties with the United States. This comes just days after the island elected a new president who is pro-America and critical of the Chinese communist regime. 
I think under uh, our new president's uh, administration uh, in May, you know, 20th of this year, uh, the U.S. policy towards Taiwan will continue to be the same, to continue strengthening uh, our, our existing relations and also based on common values you know, for freedom and democracy. Uh, that policy uh, will not change. Alexander Yu is Taiwan's de facto ambassador to the U.S. He arrived in Washington, D.C. in December. Yu said U.S. relations with Taiwan have been rock solid in the last few years and added that's considering multiple fields, including the economy, security and culturally. Taiwan is also trying to reach a trade agreement with the U.S. called the 21st Century Trade Initiative. We have been in, we've been going through talks of the 21st century uh, trade initiative, and we've already uh, reached the first stage in which U.S. Congress has already passed the, that first stage and signed, signed by President Biden, and we're in the second stage of the dialogue or, or for, for the, the 21st century uh, trade initiative. The envoy said President-elect Lai Ching-de, also known as William Lai, will follow similar policies to his predecessor, President Tsai Ing-wen. Yu commented that the U.S. has approved a lot of security assistance to Taiwan, and he expects that to continue under Taiwan's new administration. The envoy also spoke about Taiwan's recent election. He said election results show the people of Taiwan want to keep the status quo with China. Staying in the Asia-Pacific region, the U.S. is trying to make better use of Japan's resources to bolster its military capabilities. The U.S. and Japan will look at the prospect of using Japanese shipyards to overhaul U.S. Navy warships. And how effective it would be, U.S. Ambassador to Japan Rahm Emanuel announced that plan at the U.S. Naval Base in Japan. He said repairing ships in Japan rather than in the U.S. would boost military deterrence in the region by keeping military assets in place. If we ever have a hot situation, which I hope never happens as a father of a Navy officer and as an American, you don't want to start training and working together in that type of tense situation. You want to do it beforehand. That's why we train together, so therefore that's why we should repair and maintain together. And keeping ships in theater is part of our deterrence. The ambassador said the plan could allow the U.S. to have better military deterrence against communist China. He noted that Beijing watches which ships enter and exit the region and evaluates U.S. deterrence accordingly. Japan hosts the biggest overseas concentration of U.S. military power, including the only four deployed carrier strike group. Most of the U.S. 7th Fleet is based in Japan. It commands up to 70 ships and submarines. The Philippines bolstering security ties with Canada amid Chinese aggression in the South China Sea. The two countries signed defense cooperation agreement on Friday. A move the Philippines' top defense official said could later lead to a troop pack between the two countries. The plan for possible military visits is called a visiting forces agreement, the same deal the Philippines has with the U.S. It allows the rotation of thousands of American troops in and out of the Philippines for war drills and exercises. Coming up, more information on the COVID-19 pandemic timeline, unveiled by Dr. Anthony Fauci in a 14-hour testimony. Lawmakers called some of what he said eye-opening. The Ukrainian president did not get to meet with the Chinese premier during the World Economic Forum. Reports suggest Russian influence may be behind the apparent snub. 
And the winners are up for NTD's International Figure Painting Competition. We have the latest from the award ceremony in New York City. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Years after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, questions surrounding its origins and the government's response still linger. For instance, did the virus leak from a lab in Wuhan? And were the nationwide lockdowns, social distancing requirements and mask mandates actually based on science? Last week, Dr. Anthony Fauci gave a 14-hour testimony to the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic behind closed doors. According to lawmakers, some of his comments were revealing. According to a statement from the subcommittee, Fauci said the social distancing guidance from federal health officials likely had no scientific basis and that the policy, quote, sort of just appeared. On the topic of the COVID vaccine, Fauci reportedly admitted the vaccine mandates could prompt more vaccine hesitancy in the future. According to the subcommittee statement, he also acknowledged that the lab leak hypothesis was not a conspiracy theory. Congressman Brad Wenstrup, chairman of the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, said Fauci said he didn't recall important information related to COVID-19 over a hundred times including conversations he had about its origins. More information about the timeline of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lawmakers have been releasing documents showing that the genetic sequence of the CCP virus was submitted to an NIH database two weeks before the Chinese regime officially disclosed it. To find out more about the Chinese regime's role in the early stages of the pandemic, NTD's Steve Lance sat down with Senator Roger Marshall. The senator is also a physician himself. Senator Roger Marshall, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Always uh, glad to, to share our story a little bit. Absolutely, Senator. How do you think that the CCP's handling of COVID-19, specifically the information that they had before anybody else knew it, has impacted global uh, security, both in the health uh, field and beyond? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a long story to try to condense it all in just a matter of, of a couple seconds. But, I, but let me just start by saying that there is a huge body of evidence out there that if I could get in front of a jury, that they would find the Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party, guilty of leaking this, this virus from a laboratory out of Wuhan, China. A huge body of evidence out there. And I think we're even this last couple of weeks, new evidence coming forth that uh, Dr. Ren, who worked for the Chinese Communist uh, Party as, as a pathologist, uh, actually sent to our own NIH lab bank the COVID uh, DNA sequence two weeks before we had someone else who was brave enough to do that. But the NIH was stupid enough to delete it. So we could have started on that vaccination process two weeks uh, earlier at a minimum. But the fact that they hid what was going on there, that they continued to say over and over again that this was not transmitted person to person, uh, it kept us from responding in the fashion we could have. We actually taught them how to do this. By the way, even Dr. Wren was, was working for EcoHealth funded through the NIH. So, it, so when, you have, when they're continuing this type of research, it definitely affects our national security. Even again, last week, we found out that they're working on a COVID virus that impacts the brain rather than the lungs. So with, I just don't see the benefit in doing that. So they're probably using American dollars to do research, continue this viral gain of function research. That's why we've asked for a moratorium on any type of research like this.
To your point, uh, even former NIH director uh, Francis Collins, Dr. Fauci, as recently as this week, saying that the idea of COVID being leaked from a lab is not a conspiracy theory anymore. Right. You know, it's just amazing me. Here we are. Goodness, it's 2024. It's four years after this happened. And the things that I was being censored for, being taken offline as a physician myself, for being uh, criticized because I didn't agree with Dr. Fauci. And now Dr. Fauci really putting some cards on the table, Dr. Collins as well, saying, you know, well, maybe it did come from a laboratory. Certainly all the evidence, this huge body of evidence says it came from a laboratory. They still haven't found uh, the uh, in an animal source from it. Here we are again, four years later, no animal source. It was a perfect virus. And by the way, the Chinese Communist Party has killed all the witnesses. Uh, so many of the, peop the witnesses that wanted to share information have just mysteriously died. Even the person that was doing the vaccine research um, and probably where it was leaked from, that person has died as well. They've taken down all the DNA sequences from our, from our uh, laboratory banks as well as their own laboratory banks. They could easily disprove our theory if they would just uh, go into their own lab bank and show us the cousin or the brother of this virus, but they're not willing to do that. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky did not have a chance to meet the Chinese Premier during the World Economic Forum earlier this week. It's reportedly because Russia urged Beijing to seize diplomatic encounters with Kiev. China reportedly declined to have a face-to-face -face meeting with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky during the World Economic Forum in Davos. According to Politico, China's decision seemed intentional not because of a tight schedule. One senior U.S. official reportedly said China rejected Ukraine's request for a meeting. Another senior U.S. official reportedly said Beijing did so after Russia urged it to cease diplomatic encounters with Kiev. A Ukrainian official said they didn't have such a meeting on their schedule and they didn't request one. Ukrainian leaders made no secret of wanting to meet with Chinese officials as they hoped China could join peace talks. But an analysis said the Snowbat Davos is the latest sign that China has no intention of pushing an end to the war in Ukraine. China has instead provided Russia with materials for its military at the time when Western countries imposed sanctions on Moscow. Without a Chinese meeting on his schedule, Zelensky spent time meeting key partners and business leaders, including US Secretary of State Antony Blinken, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. NTD wrapping up its sixth international figure painting competition with a formal awards ceremony. The event was held at the Samal Gandhi Club in New York City, where the contest's paintings have been on display. Take a look. Merciful and A total of 60 entries from 20 countries around the world were selected for the final exhibition. After a review from judges, there was no gold award given out this year, but three silver awards and five bronze awards were handed out. The triptych, Buddha's Grace, created by three artists from Japan and Taiwan, won the highest prize of the competition, the Silver Award. The work demonstrated themes of contemporary mythological scenes. The biggest challenge is that these paintings are very large, and then there are also many characters. At the beginning of the design process, in order to put all three paintings together as one, we had to put a lot of effort into the planning. Each of us probably has at least 20 to 30 sketches for each of our works. This piece, painted by Xing Jiang from Taiwan, titled Choosing Conscience Amid Political Unrest, won the Profound Humanities Award. Six artists also took home the Outstanding Technique Award, two artists with the Outstanding Youth Awards, 
as well as 35 honorable mentions. As one of the top figure painting competitions in the world, the traditional artwork promotes the concepts of innocence, purity, and beauty. But this competition is really unique in that it places an emphasis on really letting classical aesthetics and ideals of truth and beauty. The judges encourage contestants to continue to sharpen their skills while staying true to ideas and themes that would promote the return of tradition and inspire the minds of future generations. And I'm really grateful that there's a wonderful competition that NTD puts on that we can all get together and, and view and, and enjoy one another's work and always worth it to come and it's fantastic. An album of this year's paintings will be released after the exhibit is over. The more than 60 finalist painting will be on display at the Salma Gundi Club in Manhattan, open to the public free of charge until 6 p.m. today. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.